Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. When the last time you thought about something, and when you thought about it, you actually ended up doing it. Um, when, I was, when I was growing up, uh, I played, played sports, I played uh, football, I played basketball. I love basketball. It's very unfortunate that I know my kids love, don't like that sport. I love basketball. I can just talk hours about basketball. And so I remember playing basketball, and, and in basketball, if you don't know anything about it, if someone hits you and you're going up for a shot, you get a foul shot. Well, as I was learning how to, to play, I would stand behind the free throw line, and I always taught, you know, the big circular rim there, I always taught, look at the back of the rim when you shoot the ball. Because when you shoot the ball, you never, ever want to be short. But the problem is, is there a lot of times you're up there and, and in the game and there's people watching you and your parents and stuff, and, and you think, okay, don't hit the front of the rim, right? Don't hit the front of the rim. What do you think I did? Hit the front of the rim, okay? And then when I got older, when you play golf, okay, and there's water, people go, okay, don't hit it. Don't hit it in the water. What do you think they do? They hit in the water. Don't hit it right. Whew, it goes right. Because there's something that's connected, right, with your thoughts and your action. The way you think is the way you go. And so what happens in most of our lives, and it does doesn't happen just in sports. It happens in everything. You know, when you think about something and you think, I don't want to do this, you're going to what? Do it. And so we, we've talked about this kind of this whole idea of margins. And today we're going to look at that, how margins really plays into thinking and doing. And so when we begin to think the way we think, the direction we head. And for some of us, we know this because if we have a, a, a something in our minds and we're set on something, we get determined, we begin to move in that direction, hard work, we have a goal, we're, we're essentially moving in that direction. And so what happens is it moves from your head to your heart, and then it becomes a part of you, right? Like, I've got to do this, I've got to get this going. And so some of us, what ends up happening is, over the course of, for you, or, or even me, over the course of time, what has happened is we have gotten in our heart and in our head the direction we want to go in life. So we end up being determined, dedicated, and showing hard work to move towards a specific goal or a specific thing in mind. And see, some of you here have, you are in your job, and you've climbed up in your position because of that. You've had a goal in your mind, and when you have a goal, you begin to move in that goal. So you will begin to climb the ladder and begin to be promoted, or, or you change jobs, or any of that stuff. You begin to move in that direction. Now, some of us, on the other hand, what we do is, is we maybe have chosen a different path recently. Like some of you have gone, well, maybe I, I don't really want to to change courses, but I, I'm going to change jobs. So I end up going, well, I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to go back to school to change jobs, right? And so some people go back to actually change, uh, go back to school to change jobs. Other people just change jobs and they think, well, I'm going to get better money, better pay, or this is what I really want to do. And believe it or not, I've changed jobs and I love what I do. But again, when I was little, I had this determination, this is what I wanted to do. So you go throughout this whole course and, and we've thought 
and when we think, we do. You think, you move in that direction. Now, most of us have moved in the right direction. See, most of you sitting here today can say, well, I have moved in the right direction, obviously because of my job and my career path, even though I may be changing paths. But recently, maybe you've thought this, that I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better spouse. I want to be a better employee or an employer. And so you have thought that, and now you're moving in that direction to be a better parent, a better spouse, and a better employee or an employer. And so you begin to move in that direction. But what happens when you and I do not move in the right direction? What happens when our thoughts and our focus don't go in the right direction and we start to focus on the wrong things? Well, something happens, and when you focus on the wrong things, here's what tends up happening, is, is you end up moving in that direction. See, we know this to be true. Let me just be honest. If you're a parent, you know when your child is moving in the wrong direction. You can see their friends. You can see the, the decisions they're making. You can see the influences on their life, and you can tell them to your blue in the face, and they don't listen to you, right? Because they're determined where they're going to go. But even us, even as adults, there are people in our lives that influence the direction of our lives. But now what do you do if, if you head in that wrong way? See, when we head the wrong way, what happens is it affects people around us. It affects people around us. Well, well what do I mean by that? Well, the first one is, is if you work, and if you're anything like me, you like to be affirmed in your job. You like to just know that you're doing a good job. You want someone to say that you're doing a good job, and it's borderline workaholic. It is. Because you immerse yourself in that, trying to get to where you want to go. But here's the problem. When you begin so consumed with your work, and you're thinking that I am more effective, and I feel myself worth in my work, people around you suffer. Your family suffers. People close to you suffer. Because ultimately what you're saying is, is my job is my number one priority and you're taking the back seat, right? You think that's the direction you head in. And so I don't have ever, I have never met anybody who's come to the end of their life and gone, man, I wish I worked more hours. Nobody has that regret, do they? Nobody has, I wish I made more money. No, they ultimately what they say is, is I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have done, and they list their whole regrets. And not any of them on there is, I wish I would have worked more. But again, you focus, that's your heart, your actions, your mind, everything you're being is going to head in that direction. But the other thing too is, is, is what happens is our choices affect others. And a lot of times, what happens in life is we become unsatisfied. See, a lot of us complain about certain things in our life. We complain about what's happening in our life. And when you're unsatisfied, what are you looking to be? Satisfied. When you're dissatisfied with your job, you're looking for another job. When you're dissatisfied in a relationship, you're looking for another relationship. When you're dissatisfied with anything, you begin to move that way. So relationships break up. You look for another job thinking there's a a greener pass, uh, excuse me, greener, greener pastures on the other side, and you begin to move in that direction. Well, the, the thing is this is dissatisfaction is going to lead to problems. The only person who's going to satisfy you is the Lord. And so as we think about those things, 
What do we need to focus on? Because a lot of us, we focus on the wrong things. And the, you know what the wrong things are? It's about us. It's about what we want. And sometimes we forget exactly what God wants us for our lives. See, the reason you're dissatisfied is because you're not really focused on what God wants for your life. See, you're, you're completely satisfied with the Lord. So today what we're going to d- discover is this, that all of those things are physical, and all of our direction points towards physical things, but what about spiritual things? How do we get our focus and our direction towards physical things and where God wants us to be? So as we do that, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this because Jesus, believe it or not, not only will Jesus tell us the direction he wants us to go, Jesus models it. I mean, I love that about Jesus. He's not, he would never ask us to do something he is not willing to do. And so we're going to look at two scriptures today. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 6. And the next one's in Mark chapter 1. But the first one we're going to talk about is Jesus is speaking, and he is speaking to the crowd. And if you were with us last week or two weeks ago, we talked about the idea of Matthew being an eyewitness to Jesus, and he lays out this whole thing about saying, do not worry, right? Do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough of its own. Well, we're going to see that Jesus said that because anxiety robs us of what? Margin in our lives and our schedules. But now we're going to go right to before that, the previous verses where he says, don't worry. We're going to go to the previous verses and what he says, says. So he's talking to the crowd. Now, imagine this. So he's like about a lakeside. He's on a hill, and he's talking to this crowd. It's, it's one of his famous sermons. And we drop down in uh, verse 19. And again, where your focus goes, so do you. So look at what Jesus says. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. See, the Pharisees believed that God would bless them every every way and in everything so in material items they believed that the lord would bless them materially so they would set up these treasures they were pursuing other treasures and stuff on earth okay so their whole idea was yeah we're going to pursue religious things but we're going to pursue materialistic things as well because if god can bless my spiritual life god will bless my materialism Okay, my materialistic thing, excuse me. So he will do that. So what, what Jesus says is, he, so he's saying this, so the Pharisees, because that's the thought of the day, don't store up treasures on, on earth. Because he says, moth, right? Moth, ultimately, they're going to be destroyed. Moth destroys cloth, rust destroys metal. He's basically, basically saying that you're storing up something that is not going to last. It's not going to be fruitful for your life. And he's again, he says, heavenly tre- treasures... The only thing that you need to deposit is something not here on earth, but something in heaven. That heavenly treasures give you genuinely security. Okay? It gives you genuinely security, and it should be your focus of your heart. So you shouldn't be focused on, on what you can get in your possessions here, but you should focus on putting stuff up in heaven. And here's what he says. He says, store up yourselves treasures in heaven, where again, now it's a contrast, Moths can't touch it. They can't destroy it. Vermins can't destroy it. And where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's what I said. He, he lays it down. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So your heart in the Old Testament 
It stands for your emotional, your intellectual. It represents everything within you. It's your being. And actually in Proverbs, it says this. It says, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So everything flows out of your heart. So he says, if your focus and and everything comes from your heart, if it's going to be in that direction of something here on earth, it will not last. What Jesus is trying to get his readers to understand, he's trying to get them to to simply uh, understand this, that it is difficult. Okay, Humans and their finiteness and sin. It is very difficult with those two things. It is very difficult to focus on heavenly things. It's hard to focus on spiritual things. It's easier to focus on possessions. And so he's saying the heart is drawn to what value, what it values most. So whatever your heart values most, it's going to go in that direction. So where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he kind of gives this, this metaphor, kind of this thing here with the eye, and he says this in verse 22. So he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So in in ancient Eastern culture, the eye was viewed as something as greed. So it represented greed. And what he is given here is what, what precedes it and what follows it is what Jesus is trying to clarify to his people is this, that they should have a proper view of possessions and they should have a proper view of the kingdom of God. So I want, he says, I want you to look through the lens of the way I'm telling you how you see possessions and how you see the kingdom of God. And he would say this, that an evil eye or, or one of those greedy eyes is going to hoard and then they're going to covet possessions. But he says, if you're not one of those, if your eye has full of light and has seen the light, then what is ultimately going to happen is a good and generous eye, something that sees the way God sees, you are going to do what he wants you to do. And you're going to store up uh, things, spiritual th- things in heaven. You're going to be more concerned with the spiritual dynamic instead of the physical dynamic here on earth. And so as he's, he begins to say that, he finally ends up with this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll either be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Okay, so it's not a money, just, it's not a money sermon. Okay, but what he's just saying is you, you just can't do that. You can't serve your possessions and you can't serve God. And so Jesus is saying, what are you focused on? Because some of us, he's, he would say, that I don't want you to focus on what you think you should focus on. I want you to think of what I want you to focus on. And as he says this, our focus should be on spiritual things. Our focus should be a connection with our Heavenly Father. Our focus should be growth in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is what he wants. And so as he begins to say this, he won't even, he doesn't even say it at this point. Now he's going to show us. So God says, look, I want you to focus on, a, on a spiritual things, on a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Now let me show you how this works. Now Jesus, again, so now he goes from this lake, and if you imagine this lake, there's hills all around this lake in the Sea of Galilee, and now there's a city a, a little bit, a uh, few miles away. He walks down the city of Capernaum, and in Capernaum he does something pretty uh, amazing. 
And when he's going down to Capernaum, he begins to see this man who is possessed. And he's walking down, and, and he, is, he has an impure spirit. And the man says this out loud to Jesus. He goes, what are you doing here? What are you going to do with us? Are you going to destroy us? So imagine, you have, you're just walking down, and this guy just shouts this to Jesus. He says, you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, be quiet. Be still. And he's very firm. And then he tells the man, he says, tells the Spirit, he says, get out. And I'm, it is amazing what happens and what the Bible describes. He says the man convulsed like he was having seizures. And then all of a sudden he shrieks, just a loud shriek, and all of a sudden he goes back to being normal. That that demon left him and was gone. So if you see that, now think about that. If you are watching this and you're following Jesus and you see this guy shouting at you, you see him screech and then he's a whole completely different person, you're thinking, who is this Jesus? Who is this? And so the word spread throughout all the land of who Jesus was. Now, Jesus was not trying to reveal himself at this point. So then this, he's walking with Peter and his disciples, and Peter gets word that his mom, so his mom is ill. She has a fever. So Jesus goes in, goes into Peter's house in Capernaum, and he just this is all the Scripture says. He goes and he touches her hand. And the fever drops. The fever leaves her. She gets up and she becomes a hostess to Jesus and the disciples. She's instantly transformed. She starts serving them. She starts doing the, the, the things of that day, of the culture, when you had someone as a guest who would come in your house. She completely turns around. Well, again, word gets out. And now all of a sudden you have Jesus walking and people, there's crowds that are coming and crowds are coming and they're coming with their sick. They're coming with their demon-possessed people. And all of a sudden, it is night. So imagine you, Jesus is here. He's been talking. He walks down to Capernaum. Everybody wants to be touched by you. And as he, 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 the night falls, it says that he continued to touch people. He continued to heal people and continued to do exorcisms on people. And, and, it, and it says it just, it, he just kind of did all night. And then something happens that Jesus does, that I don't want you to miss and I don't want uh, any of us to miss because what he's trying to say to us about connecting with our Heavenly Father and about creating margins in our life and where our focus goes. And in Mark chapter 1, this is what Jesus did, and, and it's pretty amazing, something you don't think of, but very valuable and important in this, in this point in Jesus' life. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says this. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went up to a solitary place where he prayed. Think about that. He's doing this all night. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's touched people. He's being filled, and he's, and he's moving and healing and touching people. And the very next day, he gets up. And you know what is most important to him? A connection with his Heavenly Father. He gets up and says, I have got to connect with my Heavenly Father. I've got to go out. So he chooses a solitary place, it says, right? And it's, it's again, the backdrop. Remember, these crowds in the city, now he begins to withdraw from that. And, it, and the word is kind of desert. 
So the solitary place is like a desert, but really it's, it's kind of like this wilderness place. So he's separated far. There's nobody out there. It's totally quiet. It's him and the Lord. And so he removes, begins to remove himself. Now, this is the interesting thing. He gets up. You know what time he gets up when it's still dark over there? It's 4 a.m. He gets up at 4 a.m., doesn't tell a soul where he's going, but he knows what he has to do. He's been pouring out all night, and now he needs to be refreshed and refilled and recharged. And so he goes to the solitary place, and when he does this, he begins to focus on what he has come to do. Now, you and I both know this, that when you're when you need to focus on something, when you need to have silence, you go to a, to a place where there, it is quiet. If you've got to get some work done for work, if you've got a test that you had to study for when you're a kid, whatever it is, you know that you have to go to this quiet place so you can focus and get work done. And it's true if you have a spouse and your spouse, right, says, man, I've got this big project coming up or this big thing for work or I've got to do this for work. And as a spouse, what you do is you you kind of jump in. You say, okay, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And you go to your solitary place and you connect and you get your work done, right? You get it done. Well, in essence, that's what Jesus is doing. I've got to get away from the crowds. I got to get away from my disciples. I got to have a clear mind, a clear spirit, so I can focus on what the Heavenly Father wants to speak to me. And so when he walks away, he begins to say that, uh, that exactly what he's doing. He's withdrawing from the crowds and he's going to the wilderness. Now it's interesting because there's a parallel between this time and when Jesus is tempted. Both times say he went in the wilderness. But the difference is, this time he's going to connect with his heavenly father. The other time, he, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and right after, Satan came to him and tempted him. But it's the same concept here. He is getting away so he can focus spiritually, right? Because he's thinking, what do I need to do? Where my focus is, is where my direction of my life is going to go. So he's, he's exhausted. I, he's poured out to all these people and he says, okay, Lord, I've got to know exactly why I came here, what I'm going to do, and I need to refresh and be refueled and recharged. So Jesus is showing us that that's exactly what we need to do. That our focus is not on these earthly things. Our focus is on a connection with our God who is up in heaven, who wants to touch us, refuel us, recharge us, and refresh us. And so this is what it says. It's interesting because even the disciples, they miss this. They don't even understand what Jesus is doing. So in the next verses, here's what it says. Simon and his companions. Now, Simon is Peter. And it says, he went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. It wasn't like everyone was looking for you. It's like, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Where have you been? And so... He, they miss it. They interpret Jesus' intentions the wrong way. What do you do? Trying to avoid touching these people? What are you trying to do? Uh, uh, just not, just get out of this? These people need you. Jesus, where were you? What are you doing? And see, they don't understand. They address him with a sense of urgency, not an urgency to spend with God, an urgency to spend and heal people. See, they miss it. He's up there in an urgent time to connect with God. They're there to bring him back to connect with people and they completely miss it so then they jesus replies he says and i love this because this is where jesus when he's with with praying to the heavenly father he finally gets his little bit more clarity and i love what he says here let us go somewhere else to nearby villages 
so I can preach there also. Look at what he says here. I love this. That is why I have come. I've come to preach the good news. All this other healing and all these other miracles and this demon possession is a byproduct of what I've come to do. I've come to show and preach the good news. And I didn't get that until I actually read this and I thought, he prayed and now he's, he's realigned himself, he readjusts himself why he's here, what God has called him to do, to be effective. And so this is so, he again, he says, so he traveled throughout Galilee, what does it say? Preaching in the synagogues, and obviously he's going to do what? Drive out demons. But he's here to preach. He's here on a mission. He's here on a reconcile man to God. And so this is the this is interesting. So he doesn't give it away. Like he doesn't say, okay, yeah, disciples, let's go. Let's go back to where you want to go. Let's go back and touch all these people. Nope, sorry. Got a job to do. We're going to move from the cities to now we're going to move to the villages. And I'm going to come and I'm going to bring tidings of salvation. And I'm going to heal people. And we're going to do that, but now, right now, we are not going this direction. I've connected with my Heavenly Father. He has a plan, a direction for where we're supposed to go. Here's where we're going. And they end up, they end up moving there. And see, he becomes walking into those towns and into those villages. And you know what he's really doing? He's delivering people from spiritual bondage. Remember, I talked about chains. Jesus has come to set the captives free. And so what Mark wanted all of his readers to understand, because the disciples missed it, he wanted them to understand that Jesus is coming and the kingdom of God is coming with him. And he's realigned himself, he's readjusted himself, and he's coming to make a kingdom impact and a difference. And it's coming in the form of Jesus the person, Jesus the Messiah. And he's carrying the work and the ministry that God has called him to do. And so he begins to walk in there. And what I really love about Jesus and his example is this. We've all been there, haven't we? You don't want to be around people. You don't want to do anything, right? Work has just exhausted you out. Your kids are on you. Can you help me with my homework? Oh, can you do this? And your wife wants something. Can you help me with it? And the list goes on. And you're like, no, I just don't want. I just want to be done. And so some of us, what we do is we retreat to our room, don't we? So you understand how Jesus felt. Right? It's not a, it's not a little two-year-old, you know, mommy, mommy, mommy. It's, it's people. Will you heal me? Will you heal me? Will you heal me? And so what Jesus does is, I love it because the most important thing, he is drained. He doesn't get up and say, oh, okay, well, let's just go back and heal. He says, the most important thing for me to do is get my focus right, get my mind right, get my spirit right, and I need to recharge regroup with my heavenly father and again he says that's why i've come to preach that's why i've come and so he realigns himself and and the thing about this is is we need to be disciplined the way jesus was disciplined right and despite we're tired despite all the stuff going on and the tendency to get going different directions he says i want you to connect with me and so what jesus is ultimately trying to show us here by his example is this that spiritual discipline helps cultivate margin in our lives. It helps cultivate margin in your life. It helps cultivate margin in my life. It creates that space where we can connect with God. And the thing about Jesus was this. This didn't happen by accident. 
Jesus didn't go, well, you know, I think I should do this. Well, maybe this should just happen, right? He didn't decide that day. He said, look, I've come for a mission. My mission, again, is to reconcile man to God. I'm veering off course a little bit. I'm veering off course and I'm not being effective. So to get me focused back, i got to recharge with my Heavenly Father. I need to be in a solitary place where there's no distractions, no problems, where I can sit down and really focus and say, God, what do you want me to do? And he begins to, to see that. And so, so, so he begins to carve out time and space with him. See, we create, it, it's true, we create space in our lives, don't we? We create space in our homes, right? Each one of us has a space dedicated in our house for specific things, excuse me. Kitchen for cooking. Your dining or your family room for eating. Your bedroom for sleeping. Right? You have an office. We have shops outside in the backyard to do projects. We have all of these things in our houses and these spaces that are dedicated for certain things that we're supposed to do. And we carve that out in, in, our, in our homes. And the, the interesting thing is, is, is when we had to go home, you know, in 2020, and we had to work from home, isn't it true that the kitchen doesn't make a good office area? Right? Oh man, if I'm on Zoom, they're going to see all this stuff. I got to clean this up and I got to do this right. It doesn't make for a good, good, good place. Right? There's spaces that are dedicated for a specific thing. And something, and for Jesus, that solitary place was designed for a specific thing. Connect with his heavenly father. And so here's, I just want to read you something. Margin doesn't just happen. Spiritual disciplines don't just happen. You have to be intentional. So let me just read you this. This is from uh, uh, a, a thing I saw in a magazine, and, and it's October 18th. It's last year, and it's called The Living Well. And the title was Five Ways to Create Space in Your Life. And here's kind of what they say. It says, given to everyone, it seems, once a piece of you. And no one seems to appreciate the fact that you are a finite resource. Perhaps you don't even realize this. Creating margin is essential. Remember, margin is the space that separates us from our limits. We can't expect to live at 120% when we max out at 100. But space isn't something you have to create. It's simply a choice to live. Space is always there. It's recognizing it. It's using it. Focusing on cultivating it rather than creating it. We've got to create margins, not just physically, but spiritually. Because you know what margin is? Margin is the space between your load and your limits. Margin is the space between burnout and being refreshed. Between barely breathing and breathing a lot. So margin is. And for us, margin is a time where we regroup, where we can grow, where we can connect, and begin to, to understand what God really wants us and has for us in our life. And so that's what margin has to do. And the thing that happens to all of us when we're trying to create margin is that busyness ends up getting in our lives. And you know what busyness does? It hinders us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. When you're too busy not to pray, when you're too busy not to read the Word, when you're too busy not to go and connect with your Heavenly Father, you're going to be run down, burnt out, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And let me tell you this, you are good to no one. Nobody. Not even to your family. Not even to yourself. 
You're not good. And so what we need to do is understand that busyness is going to hinder us from growing into a relationship with Jesus. And we can't be too busy not to pray. We can't too busy not to read the scripture. We can't be too busy not to do any of these things. But see, here's what happens when we get busy. The stuff that's on the forefront of our mind, the spiritual disciplines and connecting with Jesus goes to the back. And ultimately what happens is, is our tasks and the urgent that we need to do for work, for family, for our spouse, whatever it is, that goes to the forefront and somehow God goes to the back. And so then we just run at this pace like we're on a treadmill and you just run, 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 run and you just burn out. And you're crabby and you're cranky and you're tired and you're irritable and no one wants to be around you because you're what? Physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. Because why? You haven't made spiritual disciplines uh, uh, to create them in your life to have margin in your life. So God's on the back burner over here going, hey, I'm right here. It says this, I've come to give those who are weary, I've come to give them rest. And yet we still choose to run on this treadmill. Still choose to go, 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 go. And so here's there's four, there's three things I want you to do real quick. First of all, create margins in your life. First of all, you need to find a solitary place. I don't care where it is, you need to find a solitary place where you connect with God. Let me tell you this. If you need to get up early at 4 a.m. like Jesus, get up early at 4 a.m. at Jesus. If you, in the midst, have to drop your kids off and then you're driving to work and that's your prayer time, your prayer time with the Lord and you connect with Jesus then, then by all means do that. If you get to work early first, like I do, and there's nobody in the building, I just walk around and pray. I connect with Jesus. It's my time. There's nobody there. I don't know what I'm doing. The camera's like, man, this guy's weird. I don't care. I'm connected with Jesus, right? I don't care. And so I do that for a half hour before, before anybody gets there. And it's just like, that, that's, that's my time. You've got to find a spot and a time instead of time where solitary place. Because when you're in a solitary place, here's what's going to happen. You begin to pray to the Lord. And see, here's where we kind of get prayer wrong. Yes, prayer is a time where you can communicate with the Lord. But God doesn't always want you to pray and come to Him with your problems. God's desire, yes, he will do it. He's a faithful father. He will help you with all your problems. He'll help you with all your needs, wants, and desires. But he wants it to go deeper than that. Believe it or not, Jesus wants to make and commune with you. He will answer your prayers. He will hear your wants. He will hear your desires. But really what he wants to do is speak to you as well. And so what you have to do is, the reason why I say go to a solitary place is because you need to remove all the hindrances. Real quick, you need to move all the hindrances, and what you need to do is focus on Him. Let me tell you this, this is not going to be easy. Because being in silence is not fun. Right? Because if you're in, some of you have to have music going all the time. Right? We have this constant flow of stuff and noises. And I'm telling you, when you get quiet, you'll be like, is that the air conditioner? Never heard the air conditioner. Right? Or you get quiet and you start thinking, well, what do I have to do after school or what do I have to do for dinner? And you start thinking, it's going to be hard, but you, here's what you have to do. You have to speak less, get in that moment and center yourself before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. I'm listening. And the distractions will move, the things will move, and God will begin to speak to you. He'll speak to you what he wants to do in your life and in the world around you. Because God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you to be effective to live effectively. God doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't want boring Christians. 
He wants effective Christians. He wants people who are going to go and do things for the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. And he wants to say that to you in the prayer time. The next thing is the hardest thing for me. I'll just be honest with you. It's not the funnest thing to do, but I believe it's the most effective. It's fasting. So you go to solitary place, you go to prayer, and you go to fasting. Fasting is no fun. I'm going to be honest. I don't like it. But can I tell you this? It's been the most effective time when the Lord has spoken to me. Most important, anytime I've had a big decision, anytime I needed breakthrough and I fasted, I got it. So if you want, listen to me, if you want margin in your life, if you want breakthrough in your life, and I know it's going to be tough. You got to give up a meal. We're used to eating all the time. And you're hungry and it's terrible. Right? And your stomach's growling. You're like this, and everyone around you, and the worst is when people are eating around you, you're like, oh my gosh. But here's what it does. When you're hungry, you start to think of what you're praying for. And it focuses you spiritually. And you begin to pray for that and press into the Lord and you press into things. So if you're believing for breakthrough in your life, you begin to press into that. If you're believing for breakthrough in someone else's life, you press into that. If you're like me and you want to, you're making a lifelong decision, you press in and the Lord makes a decision for you. Or He gives you wisdom. He shows you what he wants you to do. But fasting is a key. And the last one is this. Simple, but read Scripture and memorize Scripture. Daily. Reading Scripture. The the word says this. Hebrew says, It is live and powerful, sharper than any two-edged double sword. It brings life, and it's sharp, and it is used against the enemy. Let me tell you this. When you read the scripture like, well, I've already read the story about David and Goliath. Or I don't understand this whole laws with Leviticus. Trust me, when you get in Leviticus, it's like, whoa. But let me tell you this. God will speak to you. I just read a passage the other day, and, I, and the Lord illuminated something to me that I've never seen before. So God wants to speak to you through the word. And, and the last thing is memorize scripture. Because memorizing scripture is... When you know Scripture, you know the promises of God, you can stand on the promises of God. When you can stand on the promises of God, you can declare the promises of God, you can decree the promises of God, and you can release freedom in your life. So you need to begin. If you have not established or cultivated these disciplines in your life, today's your day. Finally, this is important. This is why we should do it. Because you can go your whole life being a Christian and never connect with your Heavenly Father the way He wants to connect with you. You can go through life being a mediocre Christian, or you can go through life being an effective Christian, being all what God wants you to be. It's your choice. So the last question is this. What are you, what are you doing? What margins are you cultivating? It's easy to get off track. It's easy to be stretched thin. It's easy, just kind of be busy. But listen, God does not want you to be busy. God does not want you to be stretched thin. He wants to recharge you. He wants to refuel you. He wants to speak to you. And He wants you to be effective. But it only happens when you begin to be disciplined enough daily to do these things. To cultivate a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Because these spiritual disciplines will do what? They'll create margin in your life.
Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.